0: Welcome to the first episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. In this episode, three things my children have taught me about teaching. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. So Dave is joining me today. This is Bonnie Stahoviak, and Dave is my husband.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to join you on your first show. I'm so excited for you.
0: I thought if we were going to be talking about things that children teach us, maybe I should have on the man who I have children with. So, I know we've both learned a lot.
1: It seems like a sensible guest choice to me.
0: What what got me thinking about it is I had lunch the other day with my friend and and colleague It's a a person who is in a leadership role at a different educational institution than I normally teach at. And we met at this great place called Strawberry Farms. So if anybody listening is in Orange County, go to the show notes at com slash one for the first episode notes and go there and click the link to if you've not ever eaten at Strawberry Farms, it is Fabulous. And it's kind of a place that I have eaten at a lot with people that are in higher ed. My friend and our our colleague who was one of our professors in our master's program took us there took me there a number of times and have the chicken Waldorf salad. That's all we're going to talk about because next we're going to get into the meat of the podcast, see what I did like there? the transition with,
1: with the meat, the chicken mm-hmm. and the meat, very nice. Very Three nice.
0: things my children, our children have taught me about teaching in higher ed. So Dave, you know this first one, we both get reminded of this on a pretty regular basis. It's not often about me. So I once was changing our son's diaper in the back of the car and got done with that. This is not one of those gross stories. So you can keep listening. And he just, this is when he was about six months old. He just started looking at me almost, it was almost this spiritual connection. I just, I thought, you know, babies don't, they're not supposed to have that deep of eye contact with you. And I kept waiting for him to look away and get distracted. And he just kept looking with this smile that I thought, there, there's just something beyond normal about this experience. This little boy is just, we have a connection. It is unlike any other, he's never looked at me like this before. And I thought it's almost, I wish someone else had been there so that, that they could actually believe me when I said just what kind of eye contact this was and the connection that we had. And I thought, you know, it's just not believable. And then I started to actually not believe it myself And I started to come up with what other explanations there might be for this phenomenon. And I realized I'm wearing sunglasses. That little boy's not looking at me. He's looking at himself.
1: In the sunglasses.
0: In the sunglasses. It
1: was such a funny story when you told that. How excited you were (laughs) (laughs) of the connection you had with him.
0: So it's just kind of that reminder that it isn't all always about me. And I think that's a really healthy thing to have in teaching is to have a healthy distance that we keep from ourselves. I care so deeply about the students that I teach and I don't want to have too healthy a distance. I think it's great that we can be close with them and, and encourage them and 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 really care deeply and at the same time have that sense that it's often not about me and that's helpful to me too sometimes when students will have sort of triggers about me i teach a lot of 18 to 22 year olds and sometimes f- just as an example people kind of see me as sort of that authoritative mom figure and they might have a reaction of not being comfortable with or used to having a real strong Woman in their life in a leadership role, for example. So I try to keep that in mind. That sometimes there's something else going on here. And in fact, there was another student that that comes to mind for me that I just, I, I he and I've had this conversation, so he knew he knew that that this was the case. I thought he was a jerk. I thought the student was a complete jerk. He'd come into class. He was regularly late, and I just thought this guy is just a jerk. And I mean, that's okay. And and one day he asked if he could meet with me, and I thought, okay, here we go, because this is where we get the excuses or whatever. And he shared with me that his dad was dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and I it was just one of those moments of you, you don't ever know what's happening on the other side of that exchange that you have with the student, then it's not all about you, it's really powerful.
1: I love the, and we've we've talked about this on my show a couple times of servant leadership, that philosophy of leadership of you are there to to serve the people you're leading. And I think to something you told me recently of how you really see, um, especially with the traditional age students that you have in your classroom most often, that you see your job as uh, serving them of who they're going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. that you're not necessarily, um, they're not like your, forgive the term, customer today, yeah. but that yeah. you're really working to develop them into the person that they're going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. And I really like that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really healthy, mature perspective for any educator to have at, at any level, almost even, even those of us that teach adults. I think that that's really cool.
0: Thanks. The next one is You never know what they'll remember. So back to our son, Luke. By the way, anyone listening, our son, Luke, is just about two and a half now. And so he's a lot more communicative than our second child, who is Hannah, who is now four months. So I don't even have any sunglasses connection stories with her, although (laughs) she did roll over for the first time the other day and she does laugh. I mean, not laugh, but, but, Coo an awful lot right now she sure does she's a cutie so about a month and a half ago Luke and I were going into Starbucks and I got a little chai tea and there's a there's a fountain outside of this particular Starbucks that he loves to go over and visit so we were walking outside of Starbucks over to where the fountain was and I'm holding him and all of a sudden a bird flew down a sparrow I believe it was just flew down and flew and sort of fluttered on my head it landed on my head and then flew away and i didn't i mean it didn't it was happened too fast for me to completely let out you know too much of a shriek or anything but i did kind of go ah <laughs> and luke didn't even see the bird do it but he he did hear my reaction to it and we, I talked to him about what had happened. And I did, after that, see a sign that said that birds were nesting nearby, so they will be protective of their nests. I hadn't seen it, of course, before that. And so it would be a week, two weeks, three weeks, and even now, six weeks later, he will remember this. He will say, Mommy, birdie, fly. Hair. <laughs> He'll bring it up at dinner time. I mean, you know, you've heard him he, do it, Dave, oh,
1: several times when you haven't even been there, and and then the story has evolved. There's been a fire truck involved in the story now. Luke, Luke mommy, fire truck, hair, birdie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that somehow a fire truck was involved in rescuing you.
0: <laughs> yes, because fire trucks are wonderful because they come and help people when they're hurt. So Luke mm-hmm. and I do
1: often see fire trucks in that parking lot. So I have a feeling that that might have been part of the connection yes. point for him. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's so funny that some other things that have happened that would be as unusual he doesn't either remember or appear to remember. But for whatever reason, that one thing he latched onto, and that is really a great analogy for teaching too. That. Sometimes things we don't even remember saying. Mm-hmm. As educators, someone will come back and, you know, sometimes even two, three, four years later, and they'll say, "Oh, that was so amazing," and and, and you're thinking in the back of your mind, "I don't even remember talking about that, much less was it the focus of a course or a learning objective or anything like that." And but that was the thing that person needed to hear at that time that got them to the next point in their lives. And that's, yeah. it's cool when that happens.
0: The other day I was at the place where Dave and I work out. It's a community center and our children go and they have childcare there. It's wonderful. And so one of the gals was saying, oh yeah, this other guy that works here was saying that he was in your class a couple of years ago and how much he loved it and how it was a marketing class and how you brought your son in and you guys did experiments with him and how this completely meant so much to him that you would do that. And he even knew who Luke was when you brought him in and I'm thinking, okay, there's so many things wrong with this. That never happened. We don't do experiments on children. I'm not a psychologist. Even if I was, there's ethical I,
1: things. Certainly <laughs> our kids wouldn't be involved in experiments.
0: I know you you have to sign some you know releases and you wouldn't do it with your own children. So I'm thinking like, what on earth is she talking about? And then I realized, oh, it was the marketing class. Well, they had to write a marketing plan that semester on those subscription boxes anyone listening might be aware that subscription boxes are really taking off in the business world so there's the subscription box that you can get where you get the beauty supply products which is not our thing here in this house there's the subscription box i just heard now they're starting to take over a lot of the podcasts that dave and i listen to is the subscription boxes for your shaving needs i guess that's the that's one of the sponsors of not of this show. We don't have any sponsors yet, but I'm, I'm sure in time it'll be the shaving one that's going to come up.
1: <laughs> sure, teaching in higher ed is going to be their their you target market. on the shaving, yeah, yes. oh, man, absolutely. So
0: for this student, it was the subscription box which Dave and I subscribe to, that is for baby products, children products. And so they had to write a marketing plan on that product. And I had a friend who used to work there and she really helped us out with giving the students feedback as they worked on the project a couple of years back. And so it had turned out, I teach all of my classes in a blended learning format. So if they're over three days, then one of the days is online and the other two days is in person. So this was happened to be a semester where on a Friday for 50 minutes, was my only class that I taught there on campus in person. It didn't really make sense to pay someone to watch for a half a day our son at home, so I would just take him up there for the hour and someone would watch him just for the hour that, that I taught. And so when the subscription box would come, one month we would talk about product and they would they would talk about, well, what's the packaging look like? What does the price look like, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when it came to talking about market research, One of the forms of market research is where it's observational. So that week I did have our son come in and they could all watch his reactions to opening the box and talk about, well, why is the tissue paper in there? Why is it yellow? What do you think about that? What, you know, what did, what were his reactions to the various products that were in there? What were my reactions? So that's what this young man was remembering, but it is interesting that that to him meant so much that his professor would do that, that that's really what struck him about me and and, and just something memorable that he learned from the class and and just that, that sense of really getting to be a fly on the wall in the marketing process.
1: It's always been really fascinating to me how much you've involved in an appropriate way, like things going on in your life and in our lives and with our family and the things that students are learning in the classroom you know products you use things our family's doing you know when we were buying a home you know just telling stories that really help students to really grasp on to how what they're learning in a classroom connects to the real world and uh, and that's cool i really i've always uh, been in awe of how you do that so eloquently
0: I liked it in my last set of evaluations how many co- students commented a number of them about that I'm able to use a lot of current examples. And it, it's to anyone listening that doesn't regularly listen to podcasts. Of course, I hope <laughs> that, that you'll regularly listen to this one. But just I'm amazed, though, listening to one of the ones Dave and I listen to pretty regularly, especially when I'm teaching I do it more, is APM's Marketplace, And that's just a 30-minute show where every day they'll talk about what's going on in the economy, but a lot of their stories are actually related to marketing and, and business too. And that's where I get a lot of the examples. I'll be driving up and every time I listen, there's something that might relate to one of the classes. So I feel like podcasts, when I do those on my drive into work, really help me get those current examples in there.
1: Yeah, there's so much that taking a little bit of time outside our roles as educators in the classroom, just a little bit of investment uh, of resources and time can go a long way in making real connections to the students outside the classroom. And, and I know we're going to talk in the show and you're going to talk a lot about tools and resources for doing that. Um, but, but more importantly, the, the why and the strategy behind it too.
0: The last one is, it's the little things that add up to something big.
1: You know, this. uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how you have been so intentional about trying to get Luke to pick up toys Mm. after he's done playing with toys. And I, I have to say that I was a little doubtful of your ability to produce results in this way, not because of you, but just because of Luke being two, not even two and a half years old. I just didn't think that he'd, with a lot of consistency, do it. I knew he'd do it on occasion and we'd Put forth a lot of effort into it, um, and and I think it was probably a month or two ago that you decided that it would be really good if we, as a family, would encourage him to pick up something every time he left a room. So you know, even if he didn't pick up a lot, just to pick up a couple of things, and so we've been doing that with consistency, both of us. And even if we're out somewhere, we visit someone else's home, or we visit a place where you know, like the gym, where there's there's a little childcare room, he has to pick something up, even if he didn't have to take, even if he didn't take it out. And it's been really amazing to me in the last week or two, that often one of us will now ask him to pick up something and he'll pick up everything. And we don't even have to ask him a second time. And he's not, and he's young, like he's just a little kid. And yet he has learned that that's a really important thing to do because of the consistency over time. And this morning he was picking up, you guys were leaving, he picked up a whole box of toys. You asked him to do it one time. Or maybe twice and he picked up a whole box of toys and put it away and even almost even put the lid on them i was really amazed and I, i just think that that's such a great example of how consistency is so important it's not being a superstar in one moment it's being consistent over time as a parent and i think that there's a lot of parallels there for educators too of it's not being a superstar and giving the perfect lecture on a particular day although that's certainly cool to do when it happens, but it's more about the consistent investment that we make in students over a period of time.
0: Yeah, I even think about, I take role every day and I'll put a roster in the back and they they sign in on that. And usually it'll have three or four spaces worth, days worth for them to sign in. So I don't waste that much paper with every day, a different thing of paper. But that to me... It's just that regularity where they get used to it every day they come in. They know they're getting held accountable for it. There are some professors who at that level decide not to take role. And you see a lot more students that'll miss. And so I've actually had students who say they appreciate that consistency. At, at, that's at the undergraduate level. Now, at the graduate level, of course, that consistency looks a little different. But I've had students who comment that they appreciate how quickly I get back to them over email, especially at that level as they're all working professionals and have much to balance and so they appreciate that they're able to get a response from me fairly quickly the next part of our show is where each one of us or one of my guests will share an ed tech tool so the ed tech tool that i'm going to share is called canva canva.com there's a link to it in the show notes again those show notes are at teaching slash one and canva It's just this phenomenal graphic design website for all of us that aren't graphic designers, but would like a little bit of help. You go up there and they have all kinds of templates, every kind of template you might imagine, whether it's a template for social media. One of the things that really strikes me is on Twitter. If you put a quote up there, that's actually in a picture, how much more visibility it gets that, I mean, the numbers are staggering. Or if you want to have on your Facebook page, you want to have one of those great photos at the top, the cover photos, there's already some pre-sized graphics and some templates for you to be able to do that. Or in your teaching, if you want a nice PowerPoint slide that's well designed, all these different templates are up there and you can use your own photos or you can use their photos. They have a number of photos that are free and then how they make their money, which is always an important question to me to know about when you're using a site, how they make their money is by selling you when you buy their graphics. So if you use one of their pictures that is not one of the free ones, it's a dollar which is a lot, by the way, for a, for an image. If you buy them in bulk like Dave and I do, you can get that down to about 15 cents. But if you're just using onesie, twosie, it's not a bad deal to pay a dollar to get a really nice image. And maybe you use that for an invitation to something at your institution that'll really give that polished graphic look. And of course, a lot less than if you were to go out and pay a designer and will probably look more polished than if you have a less than stellar designer student who <laughs> aspires to that, but isn't quite there yet. So that's that's canva.com. And Dave, I know you've got a recommendation too.
1: I do. I have been using for about six months now a software product called Omni Outliner. It's produced by the Omni Group. This particular recommendation is a Mac-only software um, recommendation, but it's a really powerful one. And if you use a Mac, I, I think it's something to definitely check out. Uh what Omni Outliner does is it's essentially an outlining tool and it allows you to kind of do a stream of consciousness uh just getting your ideas down on screen and there's an iPad app that goes along with it too so you can use that if you're a tablet person and you can then take and really arrange the outline really easily so you can group similar things in the same way you can format it beautifully uh I use it also for recording when we do podcasts because you can actually add an audio and video and links and all kinds of stuff. It, it's like a multimedia rich outlining program. And I am i teach a few classes a year in a master's program. And so I'm going to be um, utilizing this for my lecture notes and class notes. I haven't really found a good solution for that, Bonnie, that's worked over the years for me. I've, a lot of times I've kept like my, cl- my lecture notes or class notes in Evernote. Mm. And the It's fine. I mean, I can follow along, but I I find that anytime something changes, I'm just always reformatting stuff and it just never seems like I've got a good system for that. And I really think Omni Outliner is going to be great and also a good, if I choose to, to then share those notes with the students as well. And it provides lots of export options to do that really effectively. So something to check out if you're a Mac person. And uh, again, it's by the Omni Group and uh, it's a great, great tool and a great resource. So check it out.
0: Thanks, Dave. And thanks to everyone for listening today to the first episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. We are up on Facebook. If you'd like to join us there, just do a search for Teaching in Higher Ed and go over and like that page and you'll see our updates there. I am on Twitter at Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I, without an E, 208. And Dave is on Twitter.
1: At Dave Stahoviak, And we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Can I just say I'm really excited about this show?
0: Oh, I'm so glad. I'm excited too.
1: You know, there's, there's so much um, investment in research in higher ed, as there should be, but there's not a lot of investment in dialogue about really great teaching. And so I'm really excited to see what happens.
0: Hope you'll listen next time.